She came to uh, California with a boyfriend, Paul Schneider, who was a rather creepy guy. Paul followed her to Los Angeles. You see beautiful girls, and you, and you see the people that, that they choose to be with, and you always ask yourself, what the hell is she doing with that guy? Guy's a weasel. Oh, yeah, my favorite podcast is the Sick and Wrong Podcast, because it's a very good It's a funny, 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 funny show. Sick and Wrong Podcast is a wonderful podcast. It's a miraculous podcast. It's like the best podcast in the whole wide, wide, wide world. Good evening and welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, E. Simon. Ayo, hey, I'm Kate Rambeau. Okay, Rambo, this might be my last podcast ever. Just wanted to let you, you say know that. that. You say that every week. What's happening to you? What's going on? There's a tsunami warning that's been issued for uh, California, the whole West Coast has, of California. Has oh, there actually, ever the been whole a West tsunami? Coast of the states, from California all the way up to Alaska. Well, you know, I mean, this is kind of karma. Like, it's gonna, it's like um, on Taxi Driver, where he says, "One day, a rain's gonna come." It's going to wash away the filth from these streets. Well, maybe this is finally going to happen for California. You guys need the last it. podcast, and I'll, the, this will be the final one. So this might be the final episode of Sick and Wrong because I might get wiped out by a tsunami. What um, a way to go. Yeah, no, I was thinking about that. I was like, actually, out of all the ways to go, I think I'd rather die by a tsunami than most other, like, than, like an earthquake or a fire. Like a no, I think a tsunami cool. would be an awful way to go, personally. Well, you I've drown. been trapped in a flood before, so I am speaking about this from experience. It's quite terrifying. And at least an earthquake, you'll just drop into it and be like, bye. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, no, sometimes I've heard with earthquakes, like you just get smashed. You're buried under rubble and you just slowly just die of starvation and dehydration. That also sucks. Yeah, whereas a tsunami, you probably will. May, okay, your body will get tossed around and then uh, you'll probably end up drowning. Although, you know, a tornado might be kind of cool getting sucked up into that wind and thrown about. I think you would die of a heart attack in a tornado. I just want to be whipped around in my rocking chair, just cackling in the tornado. <laughs> Were you the wicked witch <laughs> of West Hollywood? So with, tsunami, cat, with your naked sphinx cat on holding, your lap. Holding Caliban, just like, ha, 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 just whipped around. <laughs> uh, but a tsunami has hit Tonga's largest island, Tonga Tapu. And it sent waves flooding into the capital after an underwater volcano in the South Pacific exploded in a violent interruption. And there's like satellite footage of this explosion. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like uh, it just shows this like massive explosion. It sent like clouds of ashes and gas uh, into the air. But apparently there's a, uh, a warning here for tsunami, a tsunami warning for the islands of Tonga. And uh, parts of Japan as well, and New Zealand, as well as the entire West Coast of the United States, all the way up to uh, Alaska. And there's already been first signs of tsunami activity on the California coast around 7:30 a.m. on uh, Saturday. And they're, and they're warning, they're like, you know, you should probably avoid going to the beaches. There might be waves one to two feet in size, as, as if that you know matters. What? All the surfer dudes were there going, and the waves, man, and I just dropped, and it totally pitted, dude. Papa! <laughs> All the surfer dudes are there. 
You know, surfers are going to go surf the tsunami waves for sure. Oh, man, vaya con Dios, baby. This is what they've been waiting for their whole lives. Apparently, though, uh, the first tsunami waves um, or surges might not be the highest in the series. So they're expecting even higher waves. So maybe we'll get three-foot waves from the tsunami. Would that, um, like, annihilate L.A.? Or is it just going to annihilate like Venice Beach. I don't think anything's going to happen with a, a there's like waves. I I've been in waves in Laguna Beach are way bigger than 1 or 2 feet. Yeah, I have no idea about all of this because I don't venture into the ocean. I think it's human folly for us to venture into the ocean. So may all these people who are going to check out the tsunami kind of drown and die. Don't go in the ocean, folks. I just it's don't dangerous. think we're going to be that effective. I I wouldn't worry too much over here, but maybe <laughs> This is your last words. <laughs> I'll Zealand. be saying this at your eulogy. Going, and D said that we don't have to worry. And then he died in the tsunami. Yeah, no, I should probably get a floaty so I can float around just cackling, holding my cat in the oh, tsunami. Oh, yeah, in your rocking chair. Uh, apparently, Tonga's <laughs> King Tupu... The fourth or the uh, the sixth King Tupu the sixth. Um, I almost said King Tampon, but it's King Tupu <laughs> the sixth was evacuated from the royal palace because uh, the tsunami flooded the capital. So if King Tupu is concerned about the tsunami, maybe I should be too. What about King Tupu's people? Where have they all gone? Doesn't matter. King Tupu is all that matters. What's no, from I, no, Tonga? They, What's the no, national they've, food? they've actually put them. They're they're in. Uh, they said like a lot of the islands been evacuated, and so there's an emergency Good. warning over there. Uh, like but this is just one other thing to be excited about um, for for your upcoming move to the West Coast. Not only do you have to be concerned about earthquakes, which I'm know, terrified of, by the way. Uh, now, 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 a tsunami might also affect your uh, your your um, stay here in uh, California. See, do you know what they don't have in the north of Britain, mate, in the north of England? They don't have earthquakes and they don't have tsunamis. Yeah, I don't think you'd have either ones, any of those. Um, I don't, no. Do you have a lot of trust funders driving around in Corvettes, like 16-year-old trust funders driving uh, Lamborghinis and Corvettes? No, we don't have that either. Yeah, so you don't have those <laughs> You either. imagine, yeah, think someone could drive a Corvette in the north of England and get its tires stolen as it's driving. Take that to Liverpool, you won't see it again. You have been getting excited, though, about your upcoming trip. Sending me a lot of links to, uh, like, you sent me a link to all the best taco spots in the city. Well, yeah, we're gonna, we're, I'm going to get fat as a blimp when I come out in March. That's my goal. Yeah, you guys don't even have tacos. I'm, just as a warning, going to tell you to avoid the diarrhea vans. The spray vans, as we call them colloquially. Um, you see those all around town. I never, I mean, I guess I've done it once. Got diarrhea. And I've never tried it again. Some people swear by the taco trucks. I, I think swear we to have avoid the food them. trucks here where you can get like hamburgers and hot dogs and fries. You can only handle them when you're very, very, very drunk. You have the right like acidity in your stomach to stop you being sick. But any other time, don't yeah, Maybe it's them. like the, uh, the beer balances it out or something. But right. yeah, I don't know. People swear by these taco trucks. Um, I say avoid them. But then again, you know, I eat Taco Bell, so what, what, what does my opinion matter? <laughs> <laughs> Same difference. Uh, but you're getting you're getting excited about all the cemeteries you're going to visit. I know uh, Hollywood Forever, um, Forest Lawn. You know uh, Bob Saget was just laid to rest in uh, Forest Lawn. And is it Westwood um, where John Cassavetes is? That's actually top of my list. Westwood is where Cassavetes lives, or yeah, is buried, as well as uh, the uh, subject of our uh, of our intro. 
on this show is also buried there. Uh, another cemetery you mentioned that I've never actually been to, because I've been to Westwood Housing Forever and Forest Lawn, but I've never been to this one, Oddfellows Cemetery in Boyle's Heights. Yeah. Which uh, is notable for specializing in the uh, cremation of fetuses as well as obese individuals over 400 pounds. I cackled when I was reading about this. And I also was cackling when I read about like the Los Angeles fetus scandal of like 1982, where 16,000 fetuses were found just like in a cupboard. Yeah, where? <laughs> like, where, did, where did someone hide 16,000 fetuses? I'll just put this one with the rest, Janet. <laughs> Just, like, I mean, was it, it in someone's cupboard. trunk or something? Like, I, I don't even know where you'd hide that. I don't know. Just like even imagining the smell of 16,000 fetuses is incredible to me. So we're going to go to their marker and like, you know, we'll maybe pour, pour from some of our like um, 40 out for them. But on the fat people's graves, I definitely want to eat some chips and some dips. I want to see what the ovens look like for the uh, 400 pound plus people. Oh, my God. They corpses. must be like, made for the size of like mini elephants. Yeah, no, that's crazy. I mean, you could fit a lot of fetuses in one of those obese crema- you know, cremation urns or whatever. Maybe 16,000 fetuses. Possibly. Uh, but yeah, as I was mentioning uh, in uh, Westwood, though, a lot of famous people are buried there. I think that's where Hugh Hefner's buried. Yeah, on top of uh, Marilyn. Or is he next to Mar- No, there's another guy on top of Marilyn. Yeah, who's buried on top of Marilyn? He's next to Marilyn. I forget. Um, we'll, we'll definitely go there when you visit. But uh, we'll definitely have to go check out Dorothy Stratton's grave as well. Apparently, she she's still the haunts the grave. So we might want to go there at night to see if we could speak to her. Oh, and see what she has to say. Well, I, won't, I don't think she's going to have much to say. I wouldn't mind, you know, chatting with her... Um, you know about uh, uh, about how how it all ended. There's there's some questions surrounding her death <laughs> and uh, what might have happened her death. So I wouldn't mind clearing some of that up. There are. That being so- said, um, yeah, let's talk about uh, Dorothy Stratton. I think um, the reason why we're inspired to uh, cover this story is because uh, January six on a, a celebrated film tour, Peter Bogdanovich uh, passed away. Yeah, complications of Parkinson's. I actually didn't know he had Parkinson's. I didn't know either. But he was 82 years old. I love Peter Bogdanovich. I know he's very, like, um, lots of people don't like him, but I do. And he, for anyone who doesn't know, he directed such celluloid wonders as St. Jack. That's my favorite with Ben Gazzara. The Last Picture Show, that's got Sybil Shepherd in. Dee's all-time favorite movie of Mask. You One love of the Mask. best. One of the best films. And uh, for that, he'll uh, forever be a legend. Starring Sam Elliott and uh, Cher, so mm-hmm. love it for that. And, and they Stoltz. all left, which was also star his soon-to-be wife Dorothy Stratton. Although they never actually managed to make it down the aisle, and we'll tell you why. Because she was murdered. She was murdered, D, at the age of twenty, and her crime scene was so grisly that they say that it could only reflect the horrors that she must have endured for the last hours of her life. Yeah, she was murdered tragically, but the story of her murder involves a lot of uh, famous people in uh, in the Hollywood lore. So this is kind of like story. Boogie Nights in a lot of ways. It is kind getting... of. Well, you know, there were a couple movies about Dorothy Stratton's life, but I'm surprised neither one of these movies were is more famous than they actually than they actually are. We'll we'll talk about it in a minute, but yeah. So at the time of her death in 1980, her star was rising. She had gone from like spreading her lips from Hugh Hefner and Playboy and placing her lips on a Peter Bogdanovich. 
And she was making one of the actual hardest transitions in Hollywood to go from. She was going from slut to starlet. I think maybe even Tracy Lords is the only person who's ever had that type of like achievement. And even she's not mega stardom. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I imagine it'd be easier for a Playboy bunny to uh, segue into acting than like a full-on porn star. That's true. Yeah, but that's what Marilyn she was Chambers doing. tried. Pardon? Marilyn Chambers tried, but I don't think it ever really happened. Oh no, that did, it definitely yeah. didn't happen for Marilyn. Although I think she kind of deserved it. She, Marilyn Chambers is a good actress. Underrated. Yeah, she was in a couple of movies, but I don't think she ever really achieved any like celebrity fame in film as she did in porn. No, she should have. So, I mean, Dorothy was so beautiful that everyone would constantly compare her to Marilyn Monroe. And all of this type of stuff happened in her short life. And she was a former Canadian Dairy Queen worker. So she was actually snuffed out by her former Jewish husband slash pimp. But we are getting a bit of ahead of ourselves, aren't we? So we're going to go back to the beginning. We're going to work our way up to all the juicy details about her death. Um, and work our way up, much like Dorothy worked her way up Hefner's shaft did on a she? dark night in the mansion. Of did course she, she did. Really? Everyone shagged Hef. Come on, D. Yeah, I wonder. I don't know. She was gorgeous, as if she didn't shag Hef. I think totally all of them, any of girl, play. yeah, any girl that was, uh, especially at that time, that started the magazine, or that was uh, featured in the magazine, yeah. had to have uh, pleasured Hef at least once. Totally. He was into it. So Dorothy was born with the very attractive name of Dorothy Ruth Hoekstraten. I hope I said that right. <laughs> she was the oldest daughter of Dutch immigrants on February the 28th, 1960 in Vancouver, BC. So I want to say hello to all our Canadian listeners. We definitely have uh, a lot. Hello, A. How's it going? How's the poutine uh, yeah. this very day? I do not blame her for uh, changing that surname. Hoogstraten. 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 <laughs> it's a very sexy, sexy surname. The other thing I want to point out about Dorothy is that she is a Pisces, D. Simon. Um, chair astrologers uh, are totally going to get why Dorothy stayed with her piece of shit Jewish, Jewish pimp husband after learning that she's a Pisces. And as a secondary point about Pisces, I must mention that all Piscean women are the most beautiful of the Zodiac. We are all daughters of Neptune. We are untouchable. I am also a Pisces. Yeah, I was about to say, I think you're personally <laughs> vested in uh, being a Pisces because you are a Pisces. <laughs> like you're, you know, born February 21st, so. Feb- uh, yeah, P- Pisces women are the best. Yep. Try and knock me down. You won't. <laughs> so she had a normal upbringing. She was in a rough part of Vancouver. Her father left the family with her. She had a brother and a sister, both younger, with their mother when she was young. So the family never had much money, but she kept out of trouble. She was a good student in school, but she was also very average. She didn't join like clubs and stuff like that. But like many a hopeless romantic, her heart and eyes, they were set on Tinseltown. She wanted to blow the BC for Hollywood. Blowing certainly being skills that Dorothy would need at some point. And that was what she dreamed about is what she put her thoughts into. So the Jewish pimp that would become her husband, Paul Snyder, he was born on April the 15th, 1951 in Vancouver. He's a male Aries. There's a lot I can say about Aries, but I have an Aries stelium, so we just won't get into it. Aries are fun. They're childlike, but they're fucking trouble. They're trouble. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't spoken this much about astrology since I worked at the strip club. Yeah, well, I am into it, so get over it. (laughs) 
So uh, Paul actually, he was to lead a life of hustling and this is no thanks to kind of the circumstances of his early life. He grew up in Vancouver's rough East End where he had to make his own way. Like Dorothy, his parents divorced when he was really young and he dropped out of school after the seventh grade, which was when he was 13 and he was left to fend for himself. He never finished school. He was very skinny, so he started bulking up, working out. By the age of 15, he'd grown a very impressive and very sexy 70s mustache. And he was a frequent nightclub goer in downtown Vancouver. And um, because of the Star of David medallion that he always wore, it earned him the nickname of the Jewish pimp. And that's how he was known around town. So he was a man with a penchant for tailored suits, mink coats, floppy hats, flashy cars, and beautiful women. And I must say, he did look good. Yeah, you know, I was looking up. I'm going to post some pictures on the site. But uh, these the bejeweled Star of David medallion is very impressive. Yeah, I'm going to post some pictures of that. I saw that, and I was like, wow, that that is pimping. That is definitely pimping. You know, I'm attracted to Paul Snyder. Like, if he'd have come up to me, I would I would say yes. Well, the, totally. what's interesting is he was like some skinny, uh, you know, uh, Jewish kid uh, that grew up in, you know, a shitty end, a shitty side of uh, Vancouver. Um, dropped out of school in seventh grade, which is when you normally have your bar mitzvah. I'm assuming Paul didn't have a bar mitzvah. Oh, so he's a fallen Jew. He never quite made it. And th- that's what I'm assuming. But he ended up like uh, bulking up. He, he started lifting weights and uh, grew that mustache. Started wearing fur coats around and became a pimp. I, yeah, I think he did quite good. well for himself. I think he did quite well for himself. I would like to know, though, where he got that bejeweled Star of David. Because you I'm don't see those around very often. I'm going to you an down, and I'm going to get you it. I like you deserve, it. You deserve a Star of David medallion. I kind of like highs. Um, but I think that bejeweled Star of David, though, is a little bit more impressive. It's very special. Amy Winehouse had a bejeweled Star of David, too. Was it just because usually you see they're called Magen David, so it's like the shield of King David, and usually it's just like a gold little necklace kind of thing. That's typically what Jews wear, but I've never really seen one that just had like diamonds on it. Like it was, it was all pimping, pimped out. Baby. Yeah, I haven't seen that. It's cool. So obviously he had a lack of education. He's dropped out of school. He's not become a man in the eyes of the Jewish world. Definitely but not. he was a legitimate businessman for a while. He worked as a promoter although some might call him a hustler, for auto shows at the Pacific National Exhibition. But he wanted more money, obviously, and he soon was hustling for the Rounder Gang. The Rounder Gang were a local drug gang in Vancouver. But the Jewish pimp who drove a black Corvette, he could never pull off the big scars needed to bring in the big books because he actually despised drugs. He never took drugs, and he despised people who did take drugs. A fellow gang member said this about Paul Schneider. He never touched the drug trade. Nobody trusted him that much, and he was scared to death of drugs. He finally lost a lot of money to loan sharks, and the rounder gang hung him by his ankles from the 30th floor of a a hotel. He had to leave town. You know, that is kind of funny that this guy was scared of drugs. Typical Jew. Um, uh, but no, it, it was funny. I was reading about this and like, so he did grow up in a really rough area of Vancouver and Vancouver, Vancouver has been the home to like many youth gangs, even to, to this day, there's a couple gangs, one called the United Nations gang and one called the cool. red scorpions. Oh, I are, love that name. Even that more. is awesome. awesome. Yeah. It's like, it's like GI Joe type, uh, Cobra type gang, uh, name, but, uh, they're battling for supremacy right now, uh, in the drug trade, but, 
Vancouver's like no stranger to having games, gangs like in the 60s. Um, there are gangs like the Riley Park, Dunbar Park, and Ross Park gangs. Um, and the Rounder Gang was one of those. Couldn't find too much information on the Rounder Gang. Uh, but the Clark Park Gang was definitely one of the most fearsome and notorious. Just involved in just random assaults, robberies, arson, vandalism all over the city. And these guys would just walk around um, wearing Dayton boots, red Mac jackets, and they had like 50 to 60 core members, but they could wow. call up more than 200 if needed. They had guns, or they didn't typically use guns, actually. Most of these Vancouver gangs didn't, but knives and chains were typical weapons. This, this is totally reminding me of like the Warriors. Totally. Very strong Warriors get vibes Like all here. these Vancouver, yeah. Uh, apparently there's a book that came out called The Last Gang in Town, which is the story of the Vancouver police versus the Clark Park gang by uh, oh, Aaron I'm Chapman. Yeah, I want to check it out. He, he describes the, the scene back then. This is like late 60s, early 70s. This wasn't organized crime. It was almost disorganized crime. And Paul Schneider was running with these crews. Yeah, he was in the in this, or I guess involved with the uh, the Rounder gang, but apparently they didn't trust him. He didn't do drugs. So after being hung out the window, he had, he fled south and he went to Los Ang- Angeles, as I like to say. I always think it's cooler when you say Los Angeles and not Los Angeles. But is that Los like, because Tom Waits says Los Angeles. Can he get away with Los it? Can Angeles. I get away with it? Los Angeles. Maybe. I, well, I like the I like the term Angelinos. I like saying Angelinos. Angelinos. Yeah. So when he went to Los Angeles, he was trying to establish Beverly Hills connections, and he would kind of pimp on the fringes of the high society. And there was lots of rumors that he may have had ties to Eddie Nash at the time. You know, I was reading that he would drive. Well, he rented like a gold limo. It was like totally trying to be like full on pimp here and like a fur coat and his gold, you know, golden bejeweled medallion. Um, but I don't think he was making that much money. Like the women. I don't weren't, think so. Yeah. Like he was trying to pimp out all these women and I just wasn't making that much cash. And um, yeah, he was definitely had a fear of going to jail. That doesn't surprise me. He was styling, though. Well, he, he had said, a few. Well, no, he yeah. looked like a pimp, but he said like he would kill himself before going to jail. Oh, boo-hoo, would you, yeah. Paul, when you're doing illegal activities? <laughs> it's on the cards, buddy. <laughs> he did have a few near misses of the law, speaking of the law, over pimps and a string of complaints from the women he was trying to pimp out. He, and he kind of thought enough time has passed. The gangs are going to forgotten about him. So he went back up to Vancouver in 78, and it was there in an East Vancouver Dairy Queen that a young Dorothy would meet him and their fate to kind of Oz would be sealed. Dorothy was 17. And despite like her, you know, she was so beautiful. She was tall. She was live, naturally blonde, blue eyed. She'd only ever had one boyfriend and she was very, very shy. She'd been working at the Dairy Queen for the last four years to help support her family as her mother's job as a school dinner lady didn't bring in much Canadian dollars. Do you have Hmm. the DQ in uh, Los Angeles? Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a Dairy Queen in Los Angeles proper, but uh, I know once you leave, like go to Riverside, you'll see a DQ. A DQ has great ice cream. I wonder what uh, Paul yeah. or I wonder what Paul was ordering at the DQ. Is it a blizzard? That's yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, the he might have been. Bit. Maybe he was ordering a blizzard. I, their soft serve is is interesting. It's not like the soft, the best soft serve I've ever had in the world because I'm a connoisseur of soft serve ice cream is Amsterdam. They do it well in Holland. Oh. They do they do amazing soft serve in Holland. It's not like that. 
It's a little bit different. But what Dairy Queen does is they dip it. They dip it in like chocolate or caramel or whatever. Oh, nice. Yeah, raspberry. But it's like it's shaped differently than like the twisted cones that you would get in uh, Amsterdam. I heard that Japan has really good soft serve. Did you not have soft serve in Japan? It's They're different. They're all about it ice is, cream in Japan. It is yeah. good. Yeah, but it's different um, than mm. like a typical like American. Like I kind of like a soft serve that you'll get in like Santa Monica Boardwalk or Coney Island like that. But it, which is good. And that's kind of similar to what they have in uh, in Amsterdam. But the Amps- I'm telling you, Amsterdam soft serve is the best I've ever had. As a side note, do you know what we call soft serve ice cream in a, in Britain, D? When you get it from the ice cream van man, it's a no, 99. British. A 99. Is it 99 pence? A 99 with a flake. Is it 99 pence? Is that why? No, they do not cost. Well, I imagine back in the days they cost 99p, but they don't anymore. But if you want a 99 with a flake, it's like you're looking at two quid. Two quid. Two quid, but yeah, now you know the lingo. So anyone here who wants to come to Britain and get a soft serve from an ice cream van man knows to say a 99 with a flake. 99 with a flake. <laughs> you say it like that. So Snyder, after he had met Dorothy in the DQ, he had bragged to a friend that Dorothy was going to make him a lot of money. <laughs> and he set out to what the old folks would call wooing. We now call grooming. Uh, make her, make her his. He bought her a diamond and topaz ring. He bought her a gown to wear for her senior prom. He went with her. She was eighteen. He was twenty six. He made her fancy home cooked dinners in his swanky pad. If they weren't eating out at a five star restaurant that night, well, it is what Canadians would consider five star restaurants. Because you know people rag on British cuisine. But Canada is in the background just behind us going, we've got nothing to make. Yeah, I was about to say, what's a five-star restaurant in Canada? What, what, what Canadian cuisine is there? And they can't say poutine because we also have poutine. I don't know, maple syrup? Exactly. Yeah. Canadians, Canadians, you hey, guys are just beer. as bad as the Brits. Good, good beer. Well, we have better beer. Yeah, Britain has good beer too. But, uh, <laughs> And so, you know, Snyder, he just made Dorothy the sole focus of all his attentions. And the, the thing is, though, this guy, classic pimp. This is all techniques of a classic pimp to kind of woo a yeah. woman and then be able to manipulate her. But the, he had experience like this before. She's not the first one that he tried to groom to get into, like, Playboy or porn. So, no, I mean, this w- is, but this, but she's probably the hottest one. Yeah, and the difference is, I think, is that none of these women fancied Paul Schneider, but Dorothy fancied the fuck out of Paul. And like like I said before, I kind of fancy Paul. He's a snappy dresser. He's nearly a decade older. He had flashy cars. He had fast money. And she probably wanted that kind of, yeah, alpha male energy because she'd been without it her whole life. Her dad wasn't around and she had to work and she had no male attention. They had similar rough and ready pasts. And soon he had weaved a kind of like Spengali like hold on her, which fucking happened. Well, that was the thing. I mean, he was street smart. And she was kind yeah. of like, you know, an innocent sort of girl next door. I mean, working at Dairy Queen for the past four years. But yeah, you're right. They had similar backgrounds. Like her father left the family when she was very young. They didn't have that much money. Um, you know, she, she was kind of, you know, supporting the family. And uh, I think she saw the security in an older man like uh, Paul. And he bought her presents, you know, and things like that and treated her like a prized possession. I think that was the first time. I think it was kind of a father figure thing, but also the first time like she ever got like male attention like that. So I can understand how she fell for him. 
This happens to all of us. This totally happened to me too. Although mine didn't end in a murder or Playboy. Not yeah, that but, I could have gotten into Playboy. I don't look like fucking Dorothy. Yeah, but did yours? Uh, did the guy wear a Jewish medallion, like a oh, Jewish I star wish. medallion, bejeweled Jewish star medallion? That's what. That's Subtle. that's how you win over lady people. I think it is. So before long, he'd gotten her to change her name, and he had a posing nude for local photographers. He pimped her out for spare cash, and by August of 78, they were flying down to Los Angeles so that she could have her first professional test shots taken. So her kind of slutty girl-next-door look, it was complete with, like, feathered blonde hair. She had icy white teeth. She had frosted pink lips, both sets. She made the rounds, and, of course, soon the hef would come knocking, uh, and then he was declaring that he had found his ultimate playboy playmate. And in 78, Playboy hosted the Great Playmate Hunt Contest, and they were scouting for a new playmate to be featured in the centerfold for its 25th anniversary issue, which was going to come out the following year. And, you know, Schneider convinced her that she could actually be the ultimate playmate. I like how Playboy has the Great Playmate Hunt, whereas, like, Hustler's, like, just the beaver hunt. Yeah. Just call it beaver hunt. (laughs) I've always been a Hustler chick. I've never been, like... (laughs) Although I will say Dorothy is like out of this world, outrageously like knockout good looking. I'm not a playboy chick typically because they're so blonde. I, I like always... the hustler chicks because they're down and dirty brunettes and redheads. I mean, don't get me wrong. I could, you know, wank to a playboy. No oh, problem who can't you at wank the time. To? <laughs> no, I mean, at the time I had no problem. But if I, if I had a hustler, now nah, I was wanking to that for at least like a month. I mean, because you're actually seeing, like, Split Beaver and stuff like that. I mean, that's, like, real wanking material, whereas, like, Playboy is yeah. just, like, you know. I will. I like the pie. artistry in Playboy, but all, I mean, all the Playboy girls are kind of cookie-cutter. And I always liked in Hustler, they were a bit, like, they might have knives. They might come for you. The thing is with Playboy, although Hustler actually had some good articles, but Playboy, I know people are always like, oh, yeah, I read Playboy for the articles. But Playboy actually had great interviews. Did have really good writers. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, it's known for his articles. Um, so Dorothy said that it took him a little while to talk me into agreeing to taking some test um, pictures. I'd never taken my clothes off for anyone that I didn't know. And it took me about two weeks to agree. Can you imagine those two weeks of him just going, take clothes off, take clothes off, take yeah, clothes like, off. Come on, come on, baby, come on. Come on. Babe, you got a banging bod, babe. Let the world see those tatas, babe. Come on. You got to a fair, great snatch. Dorothy does have a banging body, and she, I'm glad she shared it with the world. No, she's a very, like, very sexy, like just a very sexy, blonde, you know, 80s type of uh, centerfold. Well, yeah, but this is in the 70s. It's predating all yeah. of that. So uh, Mario Casilli was the photographer who took her test shot, said, I called her a woman child. When you looked at her, she was a tall lady. She had this statuesque look, but when you talked to her, she was still a little girl. She, she had that. Was. That's the thing. She had that innocence. I read a, a pretty interesting quote here. Um, so, so Snyder got Van, Vancouver photographer Ken Honey to take these pictures, what and they name. sent yeah they sent them to uh, Marilyn Grabowski, who is the magazine Playboy's uh, former West Coast photo editor, who worked with Hugh for Hugh Hefner for over forty years, and uh, Grabowski said, in regards to uh, Dorothy, she was a total babe in the woods. I cannot remember another playmate being that. I don't want to say naive, but inexperienced, unused to her surroundings, 
and not used to thinking that she was really beautiful. And I think that's part of the appeal of Dorothy Stratton. She wasn't like yeah. jaded and obsessed with her self-image like every other Playboy bunny in Los Angeles and most hot girls of that caliber in Los Angeles. Yeah, I don't think Dorothy knew what I, she had. I don't think so sure. either. But I think Paul did. Yeah. So Colleen Camp, who would later star alongside her in um, the Peter Bogdanovich film, they all laughed. She said of Dorothy, she was just breathtakingly beautiful. There was something very otherworldly about being with her. Time would stop and you just felt like you were in a frozen moment. That, that's all about being a Pisces. <laughs> and like I said, she was a Pisces. And it's a very in- endearing, naive, rose glasses trait of Pisces that they do tend to ignore red warning flags and signs Oh, they basically live in a magical other realm where the real world can't hurt their sensitive souls. She didn't believe that anybody lied and that all liars come to Los Angeles. I said to Snyder, do you care about her? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, if you really cared about her, take her back to Vancouver. She doesn't belong here. I said, she's nice. She's got a nice figure, got a beautiful face, and this town will destroy her. And this was said by the actor Max Bayer Jr., who you might remember from the Beverly Hillbillies. I don't because we didn't have that show over here, but I, yeah. I'm aware of it. Obviously, yeah, I can't remember. He played Max played Jethro on the Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah, but his prophecy would obviously come true about what's going to destroy Dorothy. It would just obviously end more close to home than he could ever have thought. But you know, but yeah, Max is what Max was said was very prophetic because uh, as Stratton was becoming more and more of a star, Snyder became very obsessive. Uh, and so uh, there's a, a really great piece I've, I found. I was trying to find, uh, I was trying to send it to you, but it was like uh, um, scanned, but it was in the Village Voice called Death of a Playmate. And it was written by uh, Teresa Carpenter in 1980. Uh, but she was saying that Snyder controlled her finances completely and real estate and even determined who she would need to sleep with in order to further her career. So guess, oh, who, was, guess who was at the top of the list? Hugh Hefner. Hefner. Of course. Um, but Hugh said there was a friendship between us. It wasn't romantic. And he said he thought of himself more as a father figure. And this is what he said about Hefner said about Dorothy. This was not a very loose lady. Yeah, unlike someone like uh, we covered Star Stowe and Overkill, yeah. who I would say was very loose. <laughs> like there is a difference. I'm but- sure he I'm sure he hit it. For sure. He I think he will yeah. have hit it, but then after that realized that she wasn't his type. Yeah. Probably. So she was working at the Playboy mansions and clubs. She was attending various events as Hefner's arm candy. But she didn't know anyone in Los Angeles. She was young. She felt alone. So she stuck close to the one person that she felt like she really knew. Dee, is this going to echo me when I move over and be like, I don't know no anyone, Dee. <laughs> this is going to be me and you. Yeah, especially when I'm wearing my Jewish medallion, bejeweled oh, yeah. Jewish medallion. Definitely. So in June of 78, after the months of pressuring her and reminding her that they had a lifetime bargain, they went to Las Vegas and they had a very classy wedding. Sounds Not so unlike ominous. the classy wedding in Las Vegas that you and I yeah. will have one day. <laughs> Sounds so ominous though. We have a lifetime bargain. Bargain. You promise me yes. your soul. Bitch. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. Very classy in Vegas. And still at the time, Dorothy was in love with Paul. She said she couldn't imagine ever being with anyone else but Paul. But that's kind of what all grooming victims say, you know, in retro, you know, what do they say? Looking back is retrospective, all that, you know, is that phrase? Well, hindsight's twenty twenty, but it is, it. but it is true though. I mean, he was grooming this young, innocent, naive girl, 
from Canada that worked at a Dairy Queen. I think Paul, Paul's a wolf. She was a sweetheart, <laughs> and she just didn't see what was happening yeah. to her. But uh, this happens to a lot of people at this age. They rented an apartment in West LA near Santa Monica and the honeymoon phase, it lasted about five minutes um, <laughs> because Paul had intense jealousy over Dorothy's rise to fame, even though that's what he wanted. He wanted Dorothy to get famous to fund his lifestyle. He couldn't fucking handle it. The Hef said that, yeah, he said the the Hef said that Paul had a pimp-like quality about him and he in turn ended up banning him from the mansion. <laughs> which, which is funny because, uh... Hef was also a pimp, but Snyder, yeah. <laughs> but Snyder was a small-time, shifty, cheese-dick pimp. Totally. You know, you know, Hef wasn't like that. Hef lived in a mansion, but he was definitely a pimp. Paul was banned from the Playboy Mansion for lots of reasons. The main one being that no one liked him. <laughs> he was not a nice person. <laughs> Aries man. <laughs> so he'd be in the grotto's pool. He's trying to make out with anyone there that wasn't Dorothy. Like, imagine trying, you've got Dorothy Stratton as your girlfriend, and you're trying to make out with anyone that isn't Dorothy Stratton. Like, yeah. what the fuck, Paul? What is wrong with you? Uh, eventually, he was found making out with another playmate. He was kicked out. He was banned from ever returning, which I kind of think is actually cool, getting kicked out and being banned from the Playboy Mansion for philandering. I think that's so, like, what? Hefner, you've got 10 girlfriends inside, and you're banning someone from making out in the grotto? Could you, imagine, could you imagine how much herpes in that grotto pool? Oh, my God. Disgusting. Uh. Well, it's on Sex in the City, actually. When they go to the Playboy Mansion, there's obviously all the Playboy bunnies topless in the pool. And somebody goes, look at that. It's like tit soup. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I love uh, Lenora went to my friend Lenora went to uh, the Playboy Mansion a couple times. Um, I, I almost did. But. We ended up not being able to get on the list. You had to like go. You you couldn't just walk up to the Playboy Mansion. You had to like go oh, to a, a bus or like they had like this vans that would just take you up there. But uh, unfortunately, like we're this is like in two thousand one, and uh, we we're supposed to be on the list. But then they ended up being like, oh, we don't see your names. It sucked too because it was like all we're all like decked out, you know, like we're ready to go to the Playboy Mansion and just denied last minute. But anyway, Lenora went a couple times and she went one time where they were like, I forget what movie they were watching. This is like also in the early 2000s. And Hefner, super old at this, maybe mid 2000s. He was super old at this Oh, I point. bet he loved Lenora. Yeah, he, he walked up to her because Lenora is like, you know, red hair and like, you know. She got great, a or breast, great rack. Yeah, huge rack. He goes up to her, he's like, you're my scarlet pimpano. <laughs> she tells the story better, but Lenora's just like, uh, okay. She's like, it's like the crypt keeper in a in like a fucking bathrobe. You're my scarlet pimpano. But yeah, I mean, Gross. that was the place to be though at the time, the Playboy Mansion. I read in the seventies, definitely. Oh, for sure. I would have loved to have gone back, gone to the the Playboy Mansion at that point. Um, Eric Roberts, who portrayed Snyder in the movie Star 80, which is one of the films about uh, Stratton, I, he said Snyder was offensive, and they <laughs> looked and acted small time, which, which is obviously the opposite of Hefner. And uh, people, other people at the Playboy Mansion said the same thing. Everyone was turned off by Snyder. He would be in the grotto trying to make out with any girl. And it, meanwhile, he's got the most beautiful girl in the mansion. And here exactly. he is trying to make out with any girl that's, you know, within like a three foot proximity. Not to mention the most beautiful girl, the most like sweetheart of all the girls as well. Yeah. Dorothy was lovely. And, and so here's this asshole trying to like cheat on her in front of everybody. 
Um, Snyder was eventually caught with another girl. Um, this is according to former Playboy social secretary Allison Reynolds. Um, Reynolds said that uh, security then kicked him off the property, and they would only allow him to allow him back on the property if he came with Stratton until Hefner banned him. Yeah, so fuck him. <laughs> By this point, she's making a lot of money. She was landing bit parts, including she had an appearance on Playboy's roller disco and pajama party, which sounds great. And she was also in TV shows like Fantasy Island and Book Rogers in the 21st oh, century, cool. which had the most incredible sexy costumes. I have a small part of my wank bank that is devoted to um, the latex jumpsuits from Book Rogers. They had some awesome outfits, yeah. Everyone was trying to get the starlet to open her eyes to her ill-fated marriage, but especially the director, Peter Bogdanovich. So Peter Bogdanovich, he was born in Kingston, New York, July the 30th, 1939. He's the son of Serbian immigrants who had arrived in America fleeing the Nazis. So he's a Leo, uh, meaning he's fucking affable. I've never met a Leo that you just can't get on with. They're self-assured. In the right circumstances, they kind of, they own the spotlight. They love to perform. For instance, Beyonce is a Leo. Is a Leo. Peter definitely embraced these aspects. He was obsessed with the movies. He was sometimes see up to 400 films a year. And he did have a deep, obsessive knowledge about cinema. I can highly recommend his books about cinema too. And this is what led him to becoming an actor, eventually a director. And he's like, yeah, he's a film scholar. He published several really well, really well regarded books about cinema that I own. And he also established a lifelong uh, love-hate friendship with Orson Welles, <laughs> which is funny. Um, His first full-length motion picture was the last picture. It was released by BBS film. Productions in 1971. For people who know anything about 70s cinema, that is a big thing. And it was hit with audience. And it was a hit. Everyone loved it. It's a, it was it's part a of the film. new beat. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, these guys revolutionized cinema in the way that the French new wave changed cinema. And this time period, he was, you know, best friends with like Robert Altman, um, Coppola and William Friedkin. And with William, they formed the production company um, that brought out probably Peter's most famous film, Paper Moon, in 1973. By 1979, he had made and produced my favorite Bogdanovich film, which is Saint Jack, starring a very sweaty Ben Gazzara. And actually, Hef's Playboy Productions, Inc. funded it. After being married for years, Peter had fallen in love with Sybil Shepherd on Last Picture Show, but that the affair had um, amicably ended, and Peter was now living a single life by the time he met Dorothy. Yeah, St. Jack is a great movie. Uh, Last Picture Show is probably my favorite. Well, not my favorite Bogdanovich movie. My second favorite Bogdanovich movie. <laughs> I, but Saint, I, was, I was watching St. Jack the other night. It's such a great movie. Ben Gazzara is like awesome in that, and it's all set in Singapore. Really, Singapore really, in the yeah. 70s. It's so fantastic. It's You know, and if anyone wants to watch it, it's on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that uh, Hef's uh, you know, Playboy uh, produced it. But so that was in 79. And then he took like a four-year break uh, from directing, probably just banging all the starlets. Uh, but then he made my favorite Bogdanovich film, Mask, in 1985, which is a drama based on the true story of a teenager, Rocky Dennis, with a massive facial skull deformity, which they call lionitis. Did you know that? Oh, I didn't know that. I yeah, thought it was. So what's the difference between elephantitis and lionitis? I, d I don't know if elephantitis affects your face. Doesn't it just but affect your scrotum? Obviously, no, it does, because John Merrick had a fucked up face. 
Maybe it's the difference in like the bone know, but, Yeah, maybe it's the shape of your skull or the deformity. But anyway, it's about uh, this teenager with a massive facial skull deformity and a biker gang mother, Cher, who attempted to live as normal a life as possible amazing. under these circumstances, which is amazing. But the film was a you know a critical and commercial hit, and Cher... Uh, you know, is still well known for this performance. But what's funny about it is a couple fun facts. Um, nice. Cher played Rocky's mother, who is known as Rusty, Rusty Dennis, which is such a very, like, a, a feminine name, I would say. Um, Rusty is cool, but come on, <laughs> Rusty and Rocky Dennis, these people can only exist in America. You can't find them anywhere else but America. Yeah, I don't know how many women are named Rusty in the UK, Rusty. but there should be. But so Rusty sold the film rights to Rocky's life story for $15,000. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. And all that went to pay the medical bills for her son, Joshua, who was undergoing AIDS treatments at so the time. So for her overson. But this would have been at a time when AIDS was very much a death sentence. Yeah, in like 1985. Uh, she yeah. originally hoped the film would focus on Rocky's life and his personality, larger-than-life personality and larger-than-life face. Uh, but... Uh, People love Cher, or she loved Cher's role, and people were definitely yeah, really drawn to Cher's performance. And she said, Cher depicted the way I am very well. I thought I was perfectly normal and that the rest of the world is nuts. And she thought Cher did a really good job as being a biker slut. She um, did. She has great in it. Cher is the, the one anchor point in that film that actually makes it not completely bonkers. Oh, God, that film's amazing. Another fun <laughs> fact about it is Bogdanovich originally uh, intended to use uh, songs by Bruce Springsteen. But uh, who is Rocky Dennis's favorite singer? But then, right. due to uh, I guess a uh, contract impasse between Universal Pictures and Springsteen's label Columbia Records, they pulled last minute pulled all of Springsteen's songs from the film and replaced them all with Bob Seger for the theatrical release. And Bogdanovich was pissed. He ended up suing Universal for nineteen million dollars, alleging Shit. that the film switched the music without his approval in violation of his final cut privilege. And he won. And then they eventually restored the Springsteen, Springsteen songs to the 2004 director's cut. So if you see the movie now, it's got the Springsteen music in it. As I was say, has he done that auteur thing where he deliberately arranged the film? Because I know Quentin Tarantino used to do that, where oh, he would music? arrange the film yeah. around the songs. So it kind of makes did, sense yeah. to the songs. Well, you know, it's interesting because I remember when I first saw it, it did have secret music, like when I was a kid. If you watch it, if you saw it back in the 80s, if it was all Seeger's oh, uh, music. Well, I saw it back in the 90s, mate. Yeah. I'm not well, as old as you. It probably also had Seeger then. But then I watched it recently, like recent, and I was like, oh, I didn't realize Springsteen was in it. But I was watching like the, the re-release the version. The new. Yeah. Which I actually, I actually I think haven't Spring, seen. The... Springsteen, Springsteen works better. Well, he film. must have cut the film to these songs, but I've not seen the um, I've not seen Mask in so long, and I love Sam Elliott and I love Cher. Oh, it's a great so movie! It's a great movie. I should rewatch it. I'm gonna get stoned and rewatch it. So I can highly recommend the podcast, um, the Plot Thickens. The Plot Thickens is like a serial podcast, and every every you know new series they have a new director. But the first pod, the first series is all about Peter. And he talks about his time at the Playboy Mansion. And he says it was fairly innocent because he was, he'd was he gone through a breakup. He'd been married for years upon years. And then he was in this seven-year relationship with Civil Shepherd. He would go up there every Tuesday and he would just play like backgammon with the girls. He would go and hang out with them. It was a more innocent time back then, though. Yeah. There was no internet. <laughs> and this is how he met and he got to know Dorothy. And he decided to cast her in her next film, which also starred um, Ben Gazzara, also starred Audrey Hepburn. Uh, they all laughed. 
Peter wanted to make a love story in New York about how falling in love can be a mistake. Uh, this was Stratton's co-star, Colleen Camp again. And They All Laughed was absolutely a movie about Peter. It was very autobiographical. I wonder how simple it was for a director to go into the, hang out the Playboy Mansion and be like, I got a part for you. That is <laughs> if you uh, give me a blowjob. <laughs> I guarantee this guy got laid all the time at the Playboy Mansion. I think you've got to listen to Underplot Vickens. Yeah, I think you'll see something a bit different in Peter. I don't think he was that type of, like, yeah, I think he could have shagged anyone. But he was married for a very long time. He had a lot. He had young. Honestly, listen to it, mate. You'll see I don't what know. I, mean. I think there's some creepy ass aspects to Peter Bogdanovich, which we'll get to. People say later. that about him, but I we'll love him. And before later. he died, I would have boned him. And I'm very sorry that one of my life uh, regrets is now that I can never have sex with Peter Bogdanovich because he's dead and I'm not. So rest in peace, Peter. You you missed out, buddy. I, I think you're a little too old for Peter, but uh, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> uh, by the time that production began on the film, Peter had fallen madly in love with Dorothy. For four months during filming from early March until July, she lived in his hotel suite and eventually she would live in his New York home. He so confused, angry, suspicious, Paul Snyder in the wings. He hired a private investigator to follow her. And during that time, he also bought a shotgun because he's a re- reasonable, sane man. Well, he, he must also... have been. Yeah, but he must have been freaking out. I mean, she's staying Fuck with yeah. this director in his house for like, what, four to five months? Yeah. yeah and she's not in too. regular contact anymore. She's kind of like, you know, she's distancing himself. He no longer had control over her. His cash coward. She's moved to another pasture. And he slowly came to the realization that he had nothing. He had no talent. He was the one who ultimately had no one behind him. Hugh Hefner wasn't ringing him to come and pose in Playboy. Peter Bogdanovich wasn't sending him contracts to be in his next motion picture. Paul Schneider, he's a talentless hack with a cool medallion. But one thing he did do, which a lot of people uh, tend to gloss over, he was an advisor for Chippendales. (laughs) <laughs> which is the, the all-male uh, strip review. Right. So, you know, I was reading about this. He didn't found it, but he was an advisor. So was Dorothy. So Chippendale was uh, co-founded by a guy named Steve Banarji, Soman Steve Banarji, an Indian immigrant who moved from Bombay to Los Angeles in the late 60s. Uh, Banerjee worked as a janitor and owned two gas stations before he bought a failing bar called, bar called Destiny Two on the west side of LA. This and would he, make an amazing film. There should Already. I, actually. I think there's a documentary about the origin of Chippendales, or maybe a podcast on it. But yeah, it would be great. Uh, he and his partner Bruce Nakeen tried everything from female mud wrestling <laughs> to like sexy magic shows to bring in crowds to Destiny Two, and just wasn't working. But then they met Paul Snyder, who uh, was the Jewish pimp, and he was like, "Why don't you guys do an all male strip night?" You know, there really aren't any uh, male strip clubs. So why not do an all-male strip night for the chicks? And so Banerjee heeded the advice. And in 1979, he and his partner opened Chippendales, which is named after the uh, 18th century furniture style to make it sound classy. Oh, my God. I never realized they were named after the furniture. That's what what Chippendales was named after. And so the all-male review drew in crowds of women who lined up around the block to tuck dollar bills into the g-strings of the hunky you know oiled up dancers and snyder would discover these guys and recruit them in like gyms and beaches around the city so kind of like how he was a pimp for women he was also like 
You could be a you could be a stripper. And so uh, the troops started wearing the Chippendales like bow tie and cuffs at the suggestion of Dorothy Stratton. Oh, she suggest Oh, because that's like the play play, play by Winnie's exactly. kind of what they were. And he was just like she she suggested the cuffs and the and the bow ties and so the concept became a hit. But what was interesting about it is that there was very little diversity with the performers. Almost all of them are white. And so Banerjee, the Indian guy, wanted a classy club and for him classy equals white. But as you know, as the you know, the show matured over the years, they did often have like maybe a black or Hispanic dancer, like one or two, but it was primarily white. Because what Chippendales was creating was a new masculine ideal, which was white, really buff, and clean cut. And mulleted. <laughs> this was a different time. Though. Yeah. Um, so although he did kind of stick to what he knew after they separated Paul, apart from creating the Chippendales, it did this separation did deeply hurt Dorothy. You know, he was quick to move in with another teenage grocery store clerk. Her name was Patty Lawman. Uh Snyder was trying to turn her into his next Playboy model. And he shared a home. He moved her into the home that he'd originally shared with Dorothy. And this was with their other roommate, Stephen Kushner. Stephen Kushner was just like a dude. Where was Dor- dude. So wait, was Dorothy living uh, with Peter at the time? Yeah. And then he just like kind of quickly moved this girl in that he'd met at Trader Joe's. Was like, come and, come and but replace wait, her. But Dorothy didn't move out. She was just staying in Peter She never moved the out. Movie. Yeah. yeah. She was like working on the film. God, this but I think Snyder just like took it so fucking personally. He's oh, like such a man-child, yeah. Aries. A tantrum. So Patty said that Paul was distraught. He was sad. He was like, gosh, she didn't even tell me she loved me or kiss me. There were times when he talked to me and he would start crying. He would sit on the couch and play his guitar and he had wrote all these songs to Dorothy. <laughs> Boo-hoo. Oh, my God. I like the fact he's like, she didn't even tell me she loved me or kiss me. Yeah, because you're a dick, Paul. That's why. <laughs> yeah, not surprised. Paul was caught outside Peter's L.A. home holding a 38 and crying like the little bitch he was. Uh, but that still didn't stop Dorothy from feeling bad for him. This is the Piscean nature. Well, you got to bless a... her Canadian heart. Yeah, but they had a lifetime contract. They had a lifetime bargain. Because she was, she was obviously well aware of what a toxic individual Paul was. Toxic, as the kids say today. She told Peter that she still felt some form of loyalty to the pimp who had brought her to Playboy and that she wanted to strike a deal with the divorce that would see Paul financially set up for life. She didn't want to leave him with nothing. In the summer of 1980, she sent divorce summons to Paul Snyder, and I'm sure that you can guess his reaction. (laughs) He didn't deserve any of this. That just shows you how good of a person Dorothy was. Yeah, I mean, she's just a real nice chick. And... uh, he definitely didn't deserve her on august the 8th 1980 she met him for lunch and they were going to discuss everything so this lunch ended with them both in tears there's plenty of restaurant workers who were like very awkwardly taking their plates away from them and she went back to their um to their shed home and she took what was left of her stuff and she said i'm gonna come back in five days time we're gonna sort out the finances it was um, 11.45 a.m. when she packed outside their apartment five days later, and they were not seen again until midnight the next day. Patty Lerman said she was at the house on the morning, but she left because she knew Dorothy was coming to visit Paul Schneider. Stephen said he hadn't been home all day because he'd spent the previous night at girlfriend's home, and then he'd gone to work in the morning. 
Stephen arrived home that night to find Dorothy's Mercury Cougar parked next to Paul's Mercedes, which had the license plate Star 80. (laughs) (laughs) So where they got that from? Patty, she was sat upstairs watching TV and they hung out for a little while. They were assuming that Dorothy and Paul were downstairs either shagging or like still sorting things out. But like if you're the new girlfriend of Paul Snyder and you come home, you're like, oh, his ex-wife's down there. I would have been down there going, hey, what the fuck you doing? Just knocking on what the door. Yeah. yeah, I would be. I would definitely be very concerned. Like, hey, what's going on here? Do you need any help? Yeah, Patty's a pretty cool chick. They sat upstairs. They were probably smoking weed. And after a few more hours, they, uh, the hapless duo, they decided to go downstairs to the lower apartment and see if the couple were okay. They knocked on the bedroom door, but there was no answer. And then eventually Stephen just decided to open the door. It looked like it was a horror movie, a staged horror movie, like mannequins and fake blood, Patty said. That's a picture that never goes away, a mental picture that's stuck in here forever. The autopsy report, which I read in full, described in graphic detail, um, outlines the forensic and what can be learned at the scene. So the the AP, the Associated Press, in an August 16th, 1980 article, uh, it said what authorities found in the Los Angeles area home. Her purse was lying in the middle of the living room floor. Inside of it, there was a note in Paul's handwriting explaining his financial distress, boo-hoo, and how much money he wanted. Dorothy's nude body was found sprawled across a bed near that of her estranged husband. She was crouched across the bottom corner of a lower bed. Both knees were on the carpet and her right shoulder was drooping. Dorothy had been shot in the face just above the left eye with a shotgun. Paul Snyder was found slumped over the gun. The bodies had been there for the better part of a day. Snyder was also naked. Dorothy had bloody handprints on her peachy playboy ass. So they also say that Dorothy had apparently been sodomized, although whether this had occurred before or after her death is not clear. After the blast, her body was moved and there were what appeared to be bloody handprints on her buttocks and left leg. Near her head was Paul's handmade bondage rack. There was loops of tape used and unused. They were lying about and strands of long blonde hair were discovered clutched in his right hand like he'd torn it out. Her blonde hair, it kind of hung naturally from her head. It was oddly unaffected by the violence to her body. Her face was shattered and her new body, it was kind of like mocking the soft, like languid poses of her photographs. You know, she was in full rigor at this point. So the cops had found Dorothy lying on the low waterbed so it wasn't just a, it was a waterbed water that they had. oh my god I, again i've always uh, we've talked about this we've definitely talked about this in the patreon when i was a child i'd always been when i old when i was older i was like my goal was to have a waterbed with satin sheets so that tells you about <laughs> what type of child i was where that was my goal in life you know it's kind of funny i actually uh my brother had a waterbed which i, I know we've talked about yeah, his i inherited rank waterbed but you know what's funny uh Although, I don't know if it still is like that. Actually, I should check. But most uh, leases that you have with landlords, you have to sign that you will never have a waterbed in your apartment. I don't know if they still have that stipulation on it because where the fuck do you get a waterbed these days? But usually, I still kind you, of want a waterbed. I don't know sheets. where you would get one. I don't, I don't think they sell waterbeds. I mean, they did back in the day. Especially in Michigan. It was a very popular thing to have. Why were they just so cool? It was kind of like blow-up furniture for a while, where it's like, you've got to have water beds, you've got to have blow-up furniture. You just won't have a cooler room. Kind of, but they, 
I don't know. I didn't. I didn't find them very comfortable, and also they were like kind of hard to fuck in. I know people are like, "Oh, oh yeah, water the, beds are sexy and blah blah." It's, but it's they're awkward, and your body moves in weird ways. It's way easier to fuck in a regular. Is it mattress. not? Yeah, I was gonna say, is it not? You've got to go with the motion of the ocean. Kind of, but I mean, it was difficult. Like, uh, I mean, you could, but yeah, I just uh, I, I find it easier to be on to be on a regular mattress. Uh, well, I feel the same about satin sheets because I have had satin sheets before. You can't fuck on them. You also can't sleep in them. All you do is sweat and then yeah, slip they're off really them. sweaty. Yeah. Um. So anyway, they found her on a waterbed, and she had black ants crawling all over her naked body. Uh, yeah, because it was hot. Yeah, cops found a bullet hole from a 12-gauge Mossberg shotgun that Snyder had purchased from an ad in a local newspaper. Like he just Classy. bought it, just bought it used off a of Craigslist. Um, <laughs> There's blood on the walls and the curtains, and she was missing the tip of her left index finger. So I don't know oh, if yeah, that was like a part of the shotgun. Yeah. Um, so this is what they think in terms of uh, the scenario that actually makes the most sense is that Dorothy was sitting on the corner of the bed when Snyder put the gun up to her cheek. She tried to shield her face with her left hand, destroying her left index finger when he pulled the trigger. A half an hour later, this is a key point, Snyder turned the gun on himself, and he fell on top of the shotgun. So I, I don't know. What was he doing in the past 30 minutes? You know, he had mm-hmm. 30 minutes to do something with, with, it, with her corpse. Because I highly doubt she was clothed. At, you know, I, I highly doubt she was naked at first. Oh, no, I think she wasn't going there to shock him, was she? I don't think so either. Uh, nope. Paul also had uh, ants crawling all over his body, naked body, and an eyeball hanging out of the socket, I read. Um, near Dorothy was the quote-unquote love seat, his bondage chair, that he, his bondage bench, I think more like it. Um, it was set in a position for possible rear-entry intercourse. And there was evidence that the seat had been used, and she had been fastened to it with medical tape. So yeah. experts on the case conclude that Snyder probably strapped Stratton's corpse to this homemade sex device, which Snyder actually, this is one of his get-rich-quick schemes. He was trying to market his love benches, and he, was, he even tried to sell them over at the Pleasure Chest, which is a, a kind of an adult store, kind of right by me. Oh, I will, I'll go to it in March. Yeah, it's funny. They're just like, yeah, we don't want your weird bondage chairs, all right, buddy? Although, if you go in there, they have a lot of bondage equipment. They have a lot of bondage furniture. Like I bet a, he was just ahead of his time. I think so too. I was like, I don't know if they were ready for it. But police feel, or police and experts, forensic investigators, they think they concluded that he probably strapped her corpse to one to his homemade sex device and violated her body on that contraption, and he then tossed her off the machine and shot himself in the head. So I'm thinking you know, he raped her corpse, he violated her corpse, um, and then killed himself. Yeah. You know what's funny is like there are so many podcasts that have covered Dorothy Stratton and like more power to her. I think Dorothy Stratton should be remembered. And I've listened to a lot of podcasts about her. No one ever mentions the fact that she got sodomized in death. And that's we're why... probably one of the few that is mentioning the full autopsy report here. And that's why people listen to Sick and Wrong. That's why because... we're so successful <laughs> and we are now a Spotify only we, we don't forego the details, all right? You, people have to know. We, we deliver the hard-hitting news. Well, I do think that about true crime. I've never, I hate when you listen to a true crime podcast and they say we're not going to report the full details here. It's like, 
I want to know the full details. I'm adult enough to handle them. Like, if I'm not adult enough to handle it, guess what? I just, like, will not listen to this episode or I'll listen to something else. Like, why would you want to be interested in true crime and not know the full story? I mean, I want to know, did he anally rape the corpse? That's what I want to know. And if you're not going to tell us that, I'm not listening to your goddamn podcast, all right? Paul raped and he sodomized Dorothy. (laughs) Uh, But no medical examiner could determine if it was before or after death we're going to put it out there after. so we're going to speak in of medical examiners here he is folks everyone on overkill knows this guy this is the los angeles county chief medical examiner at the time this is thomas tommy t noguchi and he stated that paul snyder shot dorothy in the head then he put the gun to his own head and he pulled the trigger it's like no shit sherlock Come yeah on. okay but this then what was he doing in the 30 minutes that transpired you he was know, shagging her when she after was dead. he shot her before he shot himself. Totally. You know, print the myth, shagging her while she was dead. So the crime scene forensic analysis, it was complicated by the fact that the police claimed they were unable to determine scientifically whether or not Snyder had fired the shotgun since his hands were coated with too much blood and tissue for conclusive tests to be con- conducted. Who else fired He it? obviously did. <laughs> yeah, and it, his hands are covered in a lot of blood and fiber and tissue because he'd been fucking her dead corpse. Dorothy was only 20 years old. Paul was 29. And her death would bring as much acrimony as her marriage to the Jewish pimp. The horrific murder-suicide of the rising star and her husband, it sent shockwaves throughout Hollywood at the time. Both Bogdanovich and Hefner, they were devastated over losing Dorothy. Hef was never the same. Part of him died. Part of us all died because Dorothy was so special to us, a friend was said, said at the time. Well, her death was ill-timed for Playboy, though, because the editors were Ooh. unable to pull photos of Stratton from next month's magazine. <laughs> like <laughs> that came right after she died. So, but that's good, though. That's good for business. Kind of, but I think it also kind of comes across as ghoulish. Like they're trying I, I don't to profit know. You're definitely going to sell more issues because people yeah. want to see her last spread, so to say. They removed her from the cover of the 1981 Playmate calendar and they scrapped the Christmas promo featuring a naked Stratton with Hefner because they thought it was bad taste. But, um, and they also issued a statement to the media on their beloved star. Uh, Playboy said this of Dorothy, the death of Dorothy Stratton comes as a shock to us all as Playboy's Playmate of the Year with a film and television career of increasing importance. Her professional future is a bright one, but equally sad to us is the fact that her loss takes us takes from us a very special member of the Playboy family. Well, in the same vein, uh, in a statement that Peter released after her death, he said, Dorothy Stratton was as gifted and intelligent as an actress as she was beautiful. And she was very beautiful indeed, in every way imaginable, most particularly in her heart. Heffer said that Snyder was very sick, uh, but kind of not as sick as Hefner would be in 1984. So Peter Bogdanovich, he published a book called The Killing of the Unicorn. And it was detailing his life and loss to Dorothy. And it's also where he accused Hefner and the culture of Playboy of contributing to Dorothy's death. He accused Hefner of making inappropriate advances on Dorothy, which I'm pretty sure they probably won't inappropriate. If, you, if you're if you a chick and you take yourself to the Playboy Mansion, what do you expect? Exactly. She knows what she was getting into. And not to mention, uh, Snyder was pushing her into it. I yeah. mean, he had a list I mean, of, she of was guys she to should be sure. Yeah. But you don't put yourself in those situations without knowing what's going to happen. So 
the accusation, the mounting pressure around the heft, it actually led to him kind of suffering a small stroke, which I also mm. think can be viewed as karma <laughs> coming for you a bit there, Hef. Uh, he denied all the allegations, of course, and he said that Dorothy's tragic death was motivated not in any way by her association with Playboy, but clearly by the breakup of her marriage because of the affair with Peter Bogdanovich. And he said that during 1985 press conference. Do you think he banned him from the Playboy Mansion after this? Oh, yeah. He's not allowed to go play backgammon anymore. No more Tuesday backgammon sessions for you, Peter. Peter stayed incredibly close to Dorothy's family following her death. And later, a relationship between him and her sister, Dorothy's sister, Louise, blossomed. The couple tied the knot in 1988, and they were together for 12 years before they parted ways in 2001. Okay, so this is what I find exceedingly creepy. Do you know what people Peter say Bogdanovich. is creepy? But I this happens a lot more than what people think. She I, was young, but she also looks incredibly like Dorothy, and I think it was grief on both their parts. Exceedingly creepy. People, you can be the judge of this, but listen. While writing the book, his uh, the the book that he came out with, uh, the Killing of the Unicorn. Um, Bogdanovich came very close to Stratton's family, including her 12-year-old sister, Louise. She was 12. How old was Bogdanovich? What, like 30, 29? Yeah, he would have been in his bed. Yeah, that's late. fucking creepy. He paid for Louise, 12-year-old Louise, to be enrolled in a private school and for modeling classes. He took her on grand vacations to Paris. She's 12. He's 30. He's taking this 12-year-old to Paris. And once she graduated from high school... He bought her a brand new Trans Am. Oh, you're just jealous at this point. I'm just, I'm just saying it's creepy. He secretly married her when she turned 20. Secretly. Secretly mm-hmm. married this girl when she turned 20 that he had been grooming for eight years. Um, not many were surprised by the union, despite the fact that Louise was a minor when the two met. Uh, but Bogdanovich and Louise were only married for 12 years. Well, it's actually kind of a decent time. Uh, before Louise publicly announced she was divorcing Bogdanovich, he learned of the intent of her uh, of, for the divorce uh, through the news media. Like she didn't even tell him; she like announced it to the media, and that's how we found out about the demise of their relationship. It sounds unwholesome to me. Definitely creepy. Well, we're not here to discuss Peter Bogdanovich's <laughs> love life, are we? No, but I'm just Dorothy. saying it's it's weird. It's weird. I will save all my views for this for the second show, where we will talk about such uh, <laughs> wrong opinions on the second show. No, no, I'm just saying, no wonder you admire him so much. I'm just not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> we have to say, though, it's like four decades later, right? So we've got a classic rags to riches. You know, she was a fast food employee to Centerfold Tail. It's kind of like, you know, Anna Nicole Smith. She's a starlet to murder victim, and she hasn't been forgotten. She's She's been immortalized. Two films were made about Stratton. So we have the 1981 made-for-TV movie Death of a Centerfold and Star 80, which is a 1983 feature film directed by Bob Fosse and shot in Vancouver. Dorothy said, I worked in a Dairy Queen for four years. I lived on a farm. I was a straight-A student. I was very shy. I never dated boys, really. I never went out to parties. I was straight, very straight. The first time I went to Los Angeles to shoot for Playboy, it was my first time on an airplane. <laughs> Playboy's motto is the girl next door. They look for girls that are wholesome and fresh and young and naive. 
naive being the uh, integral point, yes. I think, there, Dorothy. <laughs> the key term. She's buried in the same Los Angeles cemetery as Marilyn Monroe, more importantly, John Cassavetes. Paul was shipped back to BC and he's in a grave that doesn't have a quote by Ernest Hemingway chiseled into his headstone. So it's kind of easy to see the hows and whys of why he did it, why he killed his wife. As the Hef has said, this is still a great tendency for this thing to fall into the classic cliche of small town girl comes to Playboy, comes to Hollywood, life in the fast lane. That is not what really happened. A very sick guy saw his meal ticket and his connection to power, whatever, slipping away. And this is what made him kill her. Well, I mean, the Hef's right there. Well, I, th- I would say so. The guy's a wolf. He's a predator. And he yeah. and that's by his very nature as a pimp. And I think, yeah, he saw Dorothy as a meal ticket. But at the same time, I think it was the loss of control which sent him over the edge. Oh, totally. But I am going to say, like, fuck Hef. I don't, I'm not going to leave the last kind of quote to Hefner. Whatever, fuck him. We're going to leave the last word of Peter, who has just recently died, uh, who I do like, D. Simon, <laughs> reflecting back. He made one of my favorite films. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying he's creepy. Listen to it and the plot thickens. I don't know. I think it's a bit different. I think sometimes the world isn't always black and white. There's gray. But again, we'll talk about this on the second show, won't we? Where we talk about such things. We're not going to talk about this on the main show. I'll get cancelled, my goodness. So this is Peter reflecting back on how wonderful Dorothy really was. And he says, I could hardly believe that she ever really existed, that she wasn't a dream. There was something miraculous about Dorothy Stratton. And I think that's true. I mean, because that, that's the thing. Like, other playmates have met grisly deaths. You know, Yvette uh, Vickers was found mummified in her Beverly Hills home in uh, 2011. Right. Uh, Jasmine uh, Fiore's body was discovered strangled and stuffed into a suitcase in 2009. But Stratton, she was considered to be the next Marilyn Monroe. I mean, there's something about her. And, you know, she was carving the story of Stratton's, you know, rise and fall, I think, is what, what will remain. I mean, it's um, a classic, and you just only have to Google pictures of her to see how she's next level beautiful. She she's really is. Stri- striking. Strikingly beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, uh, just to end the, sh- the end this segment here, there have been many people who have claimed to witness a celebrity ghost in Hollywood, and Dorothy Stratton's no exception. Some have seen her uh, ghost at the former Playboy building, building located on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. Um, others have seen her at the uh, uh, A Pale Mist Floating near her grave at the Ooh. Westwood Village Memorial Park uh, Cemetery in Los Angeles, California. So maybe when uh, when you come visit and we go to uh, the Westwood Cemetery, we might see um, Dorothy Stratton's ghost. And then we can ask her, were you uh, anally raped before or after <laughs> death? Because I we, we, inquiring we minds know. need to know. Inquiring <laughs> know, minds honey. need to know. You know, that's how we deliver the news here on Sick and Wrong. Um, people, this is episode 826 here. Uh, we have phone calls come up next, but first, here's a word about our Patreon page. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. If you're not a Sick and Wrong patron, then you might be missing out on special phone calls like this one. I bought a speculum from Amazon. Oh, my God. Um, I get this fucking thing, and it's not the best-made thing ever. Uh, I should have saved this right, for the hey, main hey, show. Hey. This is also... Experiment. There's experimenting sexually together. Buying a speculum is not experimenting sexually. That's being like that's me- for medical use. 
there's, there's, there's you know, a no point. If I was at a man's house and he says, let's do something kinky, baby. And I was like, yeah, I'm really up for that too. Let's do it. And then he rocked out a fucking speculum. I'd be like, what the fuck? Why do you want to see my cervix? <laughs> I want to see what you got it? in there. Let's go spelunking. <laughs> I mean, you fucking you know, put that. Every I... woman has a fear of a speculum. No woman goes, oh, yeah, baby. Put that speculum in. Like what, what the fuck experience. is he like role-playing as a gynecologist like a really shitty junky gynecologist yeah, this is not kinky sex <laughs> this is like unsatisfying sex <laughs> what woman has ever said to you oh yeah i can only come if you gape my vagina apart i know that's I the should... only way i can come i shouldn't like... be as hard as i am right now but whatever <laughs> For just $5, you can hear the rest of this phone call, a bonus news story, and about an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. So we got a few phone calls to get to here. 323-522-4032 is that number. And remember, people, you can email the show, sickandwrongpodcast at gmail.com. Just try to keep it under three minutes, or it's going to go on the second show. Well, keep um, the email under three minutes. Just keep the calls. Calls <laughs> in the emails under uh, three minutes. Um, we did get some good ones out this week. Um, and I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to like build up a backlog. So uh, definitely give us a call. We want to hear from you. Uh, this first call is, uh, this guy's called a couple times. Um, Ken from Kentucky. Oh, cool. Well, Kate and Dee, this is Ken. I was calling from Kentucky to tell you happy new year and along with the patreon message i left you i've almost forgot the other thing to do in kentucky is smoke mass amounts of cannabis <laughs> sick and wrong not surprised i'm good get me to kentucky <laughs> love y'all show fucking lick my balls eat my ass i'm out wow there's like a new uh, salutation there Lick my balls, eat my ass. You know, I, I didn't know that uh, marijuana is legal over in Kentucky. I kind of you know, know, I've learned so much about Kentucky in these last like two months than I ever thought I would ever know about Kentucky. Well, it's interesting because uh, uh, marijuana laws differ by state. Cause the state, not it's federal. It, federally, it's legal still, but the states is uh, where they decide whether or not you know you can sell it legally. So I know, I know when I went back to Michigan, Michigan is just weed dispensaries everywhere. It wasn't oh, like wow. that when I was growing up. And like I know on the West Coast, like Seattle, Oregon, Los Angeles, and now uh, Vegas too, Nevada, weed everywhere. But I thought like in the southern states, I thought it was still really illegal. I might be wrong, and people call in if you can let me know, but I thought like in Tennessee and Kentucky and Missouri and all that, it's still in Kansas, it's still very illegal. Who knows, mate? If yeah, someone's gonna ring in now and be like, "You are ignorant about you your ignorant. own country." What, like Texas? Like, is it le like? Do you guys have dispensaries like they do in California and Texas? Like, I don't. I wonder about that. It's legal in Arizona, isn't it? Yeah, Arizona, it's legal, and there's dispensaries yeah. everywhere in Arizona. So maybe in Texas, it's legal too. I mean, it should be. I just don't know. Uh, I, I just know some of the more conservative leading states still think it's like a class B drug. Well, you're talking about England there. What about um, Florida? I, you know, I don't know if it's legal in Florida either. 
I, th- you I think guarantee it would be. in Florida, I pro- it probably is. Yeah, because there's bath salts are shit still going on in Florida. In Florida. Yeah, for them I think, to worry about. Yeah, I think weed is the least of their worries. I think weed actually would make the general population a bit more intelligent. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'd be interested to find that out. But thank you there, uh, Kentucky listener. I'd like to hear more Kentucky about Ken. Kentucky. Yeah, I like KY Ken. Oh, no, that makes him sound like he's lube. Just Kentucky Ken. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if this next uh, celebrity caller ever performed <gasps> in Kentucky. Yeah, you're right, D. All right, kid. It's Tom Jones here. Tom Jones. Ringing you again from the deep, deep valleys of South Wales. So I'm ringing up to to, to tell her about something that happened last weekend. Um, My wife's a fucking night worker, so she came home from work. Like, uh, My wife's a night worker. I am a night worker. (laughs) I work the nights. (laughs) It works the graveyard shift. Both of our wives. You have something in common, Tom Jones. I like how Tom oh. Jones's wife has to still work the graveyard shift. As I say, <laughs> is Tom Jones's wife a hooker as well? I don't know. Maybe. Like me. Yeah. I thought, I thought most, nor- well, I don't know. He's probably not married to a northern slag. He's married to a Welsh slag, which are like a whole nother level of slag. <laughs> Who would win in a fight, a Welsh slag or a northern slag? Oh, you know what? Unlike the North versus South debate on which side, um, if English British listeners want to ring in and weigh in on that subject, I think the North outsmokes the South. I think Wales, Welsh, and uh, the North are equally matched. Whoa, so it would be an equally matched uh, tournament. Yeah, hmm. I think it would be. All right, well, we'll have to see. Tourney. Clock in the morning, went up to bed. My kids in the living room. Oh, fuck, I'm hungover as fuck from the night before. So I chuckled on, no, it was a little bit of pepper pig from, made them some crumpets. A little what? Pepper pig. What does that mean? Pepper pig? You know Pepper pig. It's that kid's telly show. Oh, Peppa Pig. Okay, okay, I know what you're talking <laughs> Yeah, that's about. what he I, said. I, th- I thought like Pepper Pig. I don't know. I thought there was like cereal, like some kind of British cereal. Peppa Pig. Oh, <laughs> it's pig. the morning. I've got to get my bowl of Peppa Pig. Or, or like, I don't know. It's what you guys call fucking bacon or something. I don't know. <laughs> the crumpets. I go to the kitchen, chuck my dogs out the back, and then proceeded to have a fucking wank in the kitchen. Like, you know, I made sure the curtains were closed and the fucking droppers fucking down on the door. You know, oh, you know, fucking, uh, you know, fucking, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty fucking bold to have kids. And a wife, and go have a wank in your kitchen. Don't you have like a fucking, I don't know, like a, a separate bedroom for this or something? Well, these yeah. kids in the separate bedroom. I'd go in the. I mean, I would want. I would want to make sure that there's privacy because if a kid, depending on what age your kid is, it could be a traumatic event to find your dad wanking. Like, wanking did you ever in walk kitchen. in a drunk dad just wanking in the kitchen? I think his kid, if his kid's watching Peppa Pig age, right, D, she's only a toddler. And also, people aren't just rich like you, apparently, to have a room to wank in. Like, yeah, oh, don't, don't go in that I room. Don't, That's daddy's wanking room. I don't wank in front of my cat because it bothers me. It bothers me to know that he's watching me do this. So I'll put him in another room and just I will make sure that they're not going to catch me winking. And, you know, to be honest, like I grew up with, you know, in a family, <laughs> brothers and sisters. I was like, it was like a fucking like. CIS crime scene cleanup. Like I made sure there wasn't a scrap of evidence. Like there was no, none of my DNA, none of my genetic material was anywhere in the room to be found. 
So no, because like, it was wake... all over a poison t-shirt that you hid under your bed. Exactly. Privately. No one ever caught me wanking in that. That My my mom never walked in. I mean, she was like, what are you doing with that poison t-shirt? You should be wearing <laughs> do you... it. <laughs> do you find them very attractive? You must, must we have a talk? I'm just saying, I think I would take a lot of steps to... to maintain my privacy i'm not gonna go wink in the kitchen like did you ever wink in the kitchen i don't think i ever i've never once thought that this is the sexiest room and i must wank in here in the kitchen i've always had a bed that i got a bath a bathroom a bathroom I can, massager yeah. like it's a bit different for chicks isn't it but i think yeah the, yeah i think he's a bit of an opportunist i think he's just kind of like yeah there's no one around it's early in the you morning. know that level of hangover wank. as well when all you've got to do is blast out a cum. I think that's the level of hangover he's at, where he just needs to blast a cum out. And it, it's literally the only thing he could do in that moment. And that's the title of Kate's upcoming memoir. All you've got to do <laughs> is blast out a cum. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I had a wank, blew my lord, fucking jizzed on the fucking cupboard, wiped it all up. I fucking thought, brilliant. Fucking chuck the jizz rag in the fucking bin. All up the curtains. Fucking let the dogs back in the fucking kitchen because I put them out the fucking back in the ring. Dogs come in. And then my fucking dog then is fucking... Oh, no. Oh, no. Fucking scooting around on the floor. When I caught the fucking licking himself. What the fuck you... What the fuck you eating? Well, because I thought she was eating shit. Because the dog loves eating fucking shit, like... Wait, 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 wait. I'm having a little difficulty here with the accent. So the dog was scooting on the floor because he thought the dog had... had eating shit yeah no i think the dog's licking on the floor for like is eating a bit of shit god dogs are so minging at times how can you not love this accent it's the best accent in the uk it is a cool accent accent. i think it's easier to understand than uh glasgow greg Uh, yeah i can see that i I think it's a bit easier for for my american ears (laughs) one of the dogs will fucking shit the other dog will fucking eat the shit she's like oh fucking one of the dogs is shitting you I fucking hit that like I thought no no fucking hell fucking turns out I fucking jizzed on the floor and my dog is fucking eating my cum like I was like oh you fucking dirty fucking bitch but then again it was I suppose it's kind of my fault anyway Merry Christmas lots of love Tom Jones that is weird now you've shared your genetic material with the dog yeah what if the dog starts to really like it though and every time it it senses that you've wanked, you know, because dogs have super, super smelling sense. What if it starts like seeking out your cum? I wonder if that's an accident what happened. But if you started feeding your dog your cum, is that is that bestiality? I mean, it seems kind of sexual. It's it's weird. I mean, it's weird. I mean, I guess. Or yeah. is it just protein? You're giving them a treat. It's a kind of a forbidden treat. I mean, it's kind of weird to feed your dog. What is weirder, feeding your dog your cum or inseminating your dog with your cum? Obviously, inseminating, (laughs) putting your cum inside the dog. But technically, the cum is going inside the dog. That's what I'm saying. It's 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 both of them. It's like Occam's razor. You know, it's like both. (laughs) Either way, I'd like to ask Tom Jones who drinks the cum up better: his wife or the dog? You know, I, I, I remember there was a caller that called in and was saying, like, he accidentally, quote unquote, accidentally jizzed on his cat. Right, because that happens. Yeah. How often have you ever 
like sprayed your wank all over your cat? Never, because my cat is quite, uh, he gets very upset when I'm having sex. So he like chucks his toys out the pram and he goes and sulks in another room. He what about when like you're it. wanking? When I wank, he also, he, when he knows that drawer is being opened and there's dildos the coming out, <laughs> same reaction. <laughs> he hears the vibrator and just runs. He's like. He's out of there. He's like, why are you doing that? I'm I'm right here. Mommy's dirty times. <laughs> Mummy's dirty. <laughs> I, you know, I can't do it with the uh, with the cat. The cat will ruin it. And I, I think I was talking about that. Was it? I don't know. Last week or the week show, before. I think I was talking about it recently, where I was like, yeah. I had my headphones in, you know, sitting there listening, and uh, and uh, like these, you know, like the earbud headphones, and then uh, Caliban just kind of walked out. I didn't even see him, and then he started playing with the headphones, and it just ruined the whole wank for me. I was done. Done. <laughs> No, I will soldier on. I will so if I really have in the mood for that wank, I'll soldier on. Nothing will stop me. Because what I like to do is in the bath, I use the shower head massager, and I'll listen to like a YouTube video, and it'll be something like weird history. I'll be listening to like a history video, and it'll be talking about like what did the ancient Aborigines eat. And halfway through that, I'll just start wanking. It doesn't matter. I don't need porn. Women, women, that's what I admire about women. You guys can wank to anything. Yeah, it's not like I'm wanking to that. I'm wanking to like my thoughts, but that's on in the background. So technically, that's like saying I'm being turned on by the foods that Aborigines eat in much the same way that this dog is turned on by its dad's cum. I honestly can't remember the last time I used my imagination for a wank. Really? I can't even remember. You just 100% pawn? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's just it's easier gets the job done see exciting. i like i like a good mixture because it stops pawn from becoming stale and also in your imagination david i don't know if you're aware of this but in your imagination you can fuck anyone it's true but i think tv has just ruined my uh my creativity you know I, you know i'll wank to nick cage me and it. nick cage could be getting it on right now in fact um, we are in my mind that's what we're doing I don't know. That, do you look at your? Does your dog look at you differently now? Like we're on the yeah. on the sick and wrong news. You know, we were talking about Hugh Hefner's dog. It's addicted to cocaine. I wonder if uh, this dog will become addicted to your semen. I think that's what's going to happen. And then he has to face the moral dilemma of, do I give this dog my cum or not? Yeah, I wonder. I don't know. This is a very Welsh problem. Did you tell your wife about it? That's what I want to know. Let us know. Uh, thank you there, Tom Jones. God, I didn't even know he had Good a dog. Good times. Um, this last call here is from, uh, remember that guy, Mash? Oh, the, yeah. The Good sex capades of Mash. Well, here's a recent sex capade with a big woman. Hi, D. Hi, Kate. Mash here again. Um, I forgot to see on the last call. Congratulations on the wedding. Oh, all thank the you, best. Mash. Seeing the pictures. A bit weird wearing black and all that, but an arty old thing, so... Each other one, I guess. <laughs> anyway, um, I was listening uh, the second show, eight twenty-five. Definitely worth paying for the Patreon for the overkills and second shows. Kate, you're absolutely killing it. D, let your wife do all the work. Congratulations. <laughs> that's the plan. That's, that's been the strategy. Sure. Didn't Thanks, work. Mash, it didn't true. work with Harrison. <laughs> I tried, but he wouldn't marry me. <laughs> anyway, listen to the second show, listen to a Dirty Sid talk about the time he's seen a fat ass fall over on the gravestone. <laughs> kind of funny. And then you just got talking about... Fat- that is a great... That was a great call. Uh, Dirty Sid called in about like this, I don't know, 
400-pound sod buster that, like, sat in a gravestone and toppled it. Yeah, she killed yeah. the gravestone. <laughs> killed the gravestone. People having sex in that thought I'd ring in and tell you the time I tried booking a 25 Clem lass. I'm sure she was about 25 Clem. She was big fat fuck anyway. 25 what? Clem. Clem. What's it? Is that like a pound or a stone? 25 stone, yeah. Clem. <laughs> Clem. I Clem's a like weird that. one because over, obviously, like he's from Northumbria and I'm in Cumbria. So, like, we're sister counties. We're just like next to each other. But over here, you could say Clem to mean a vag. Yeah, that's I've I've heard of uh, Clem. I've I've heard of Clem being. I think you've told me that Clem would mean vag, which makes sense because it's seem, similar to clam. Whereas yeah. Clem is like a as a stone or measure weight. I I never heard that before. Yeah, I've forgotten they said that in a Geordie Land, but they do. Yeah. It started off. I was watching BBW porn quite a bit, and I thought, oh, I'm really into that. I thought I'd give it a try. <laughs> so I started uh, messaging a few fat asses and I. Uh, Dirty fat asses. I'm gonna fucking out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it. See, we'll see what it's like. There's... I mean, steel says it's way easier. The shag oh, you do say I'll bring you a pizza, right? That's yeah, steel. Well, according to Steel and his BBW conventions that he'd go to, he would just bring a pizza and be the most popular guy in the room. I don't know if that's exaggeration, but maybe. One big fat ass about twenty five Clem was all over us, like wanting to get with us and stuff like that. How big is twenty five Clem? Like in pounds. That's the size of Elvis when he died. That's like 250 pounds, I think. Ooh, it's a, oh, no, bigger, because this is a 14 pounds to a, a stone, so it's got to be... Oh, yeah, yeah. You're p- pushing 300 pounds there. That's a big girl. I thought, fuck, I'm just going to do it, going to try it. So it was, I think it was during one of the World Cups, and uh, she went, oh, come over, I'll suck your cock while you have a beer and watch the match and that. I was like, oh, my God, that's fucking amazing. <laughs> anyway, she come over. Did you put the beer on her head? <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be the game. <laughs> Picked her up in my car, tried to like hide as best I could going into my mom's house when I was younger and that. And then uh, sat down, put the match on and that, started fiddling with us and stuff like that. And I had a beer in my hand and I started sucking us off. I was like, oh my god, best blowjob I've ever had. Still one of the best blowjobs I've ever had. Proper stereotypical fat ass mint blowjob. Absolutely mint, absolutely true. So next thing I know, she lays on her back. And uh, pulls her kegs off and that lifts her legs up. So I'm looking. No, I can't even see her funny. So I pushed her legs apart. Finally, see her funny. Hairy as fuck. Obviously, she was unable to shave. Fucking ugh. I was like, oh my god, okay. And then I just got this smell. I was like, oh my god. I was like I don't, I don't mind a fat lass, but I want a fat lass to take care of herself. Like, okay, I think yeah. most fat lasses, most lasses in general, tend to like bathe and trim down there don't you think i I think maybe this one is was an irregularity yeah but even if you like no not trim in you still like shower is she just washing herself with a rag on a stick at this point (laughs) i find it funny too like a 300 pound girl i guess i've never been with a girl that big but don't you think you could see the fanny yeah you can see some of the fannies on like we've all seen the pawns we've all seen it yeah, now I'm when I when I'm thinking about it, like uh, the movie Fatliners, Steel is one of Steel's favorite points. Oh, the movie Fatliners. I remember there's a scene in the kitchen where Ron Jeremy, this this woman, he shagged this woman that was like probably five or six hundred pounds. I mean, she was like on uh, you know on that uh, that my six hundred pound life or whatever that reality show is. She she was huge, and you couldn't see a fanny. 
You couldn't. She just looked like a wall of flesh when she bent over. It was like one position. Yeah. She just bent over and he banged her. But I imagine a 300-pound girl, though. That's... So, you I'm can not, still see it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe she's just like, maybe she carries all her weight in her thighs and ass. But she seems literally dirty. It's, uh, <laughs> not figuratively. Or both. How oh, yeah. Have some have some common decent, common hygiene at least. Anyway, I tried putting that and I'm, I hate to see it, but I'm not very well endowed. So I was trying to push our legs up as far as it would get. Couldn't get up far and that. Couldn't get me cock in. And I was like, oh, fuck. Then I lost me hard on. I was like, oh my God, I couldn't fucking believe it. I was fucking gutted. Lost me fucking hard on. Couldn't get hard again. Started sucking us off, finishes off. And she was the most disappointed woman in the fucking world. I must have been the worst shag she'd ever fucking had. Anyway... Moral of the story is, don't try and book a fat lass if you're not well endowed. Simple as that. All right, keep it sick, keep it wrong, all the best. Hi, you know, it's interesting. I never really thought about that, but maybe that's why fat girls love black guys. Because they're well endowed. But you always see, like, a fat white girl with a black guy. And maybe that's it. Maybe because uh, black guys are, you know, more well endowed and it's just the equipment fits better. And it's going to get... I want to know, like, obviously, like, your internal... Like your internal organs don't change, but like, does your vagina? Does a fat girl's vagina feel fat when you fuck it? How could it feel fat? What do you mean, like? Her like, does it feel fat because of all the fat that surrounds it? You know what I think the problem is is you have to go through some barriers to get to the pussy, as opposed to like a skinny girl. You know? Yeah, where it's like, just like legs yeah, open. Just, yeah, legs open. You just do it. it. Whereas like a fat Wait, girl, it's like you got, Yeah, you got to go through some barriers here. So I think you do have to have like a larger cock in order to even. Yeah, but when you're smashing your dick into her, does it not like because all the all the fat will be like a lava lamp? It'll, it would maybe be quite like nice. Would it not provide extra sensation onto your cock? I don't know. I think it I, would. That's a good question. I wonder like, I wonder if like. Uh, you know, fucking her from behind is like fucking on a waterbed. She's a huge, she's a flesh waterbed. Yeah, that's what I wonder. I mean, I think it'd just be, I wonder, because you're probably on top of her, and I th- I wonder if you'd just be sliding back and forth. Watching all the fat ripple would be very hypnotic as well. Yeah, I've never really been into, uh, like, big girls like that. I think that, I've, I've never really been with a, a girl that large. I've been with, like, you know, a chubby no, chick. And sometimes, like, like, thick... Thick girls, are, I mean, are, are sexy. But I think when, to me personally, I mean, some people are into BBWs. More power to them. I think it's, I think it's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think you probably do have to be well endowed to shag a BBW. So what happens when she was disappointed? Did you take her to the chippy? Like, what, I think like, she probably <laughs> took herself to the chippy. <laughs> but I would do if I, I would definitely be like, all right, let me go buy you some gelato or something. Gelato, <laughs> D. They're in bloody no Northumbria. Do you think gelato exists there? He would have bought her a chicken palm. That's what she got. She got chicken palm with some chips. All right, I would have taken you out for a chicken palm just to be like, yeah. I'm sorry, I have a small dick. Okay, here's a chicken palm. <laughs> That's also incidentally the the meal we had at our wedding. Was it chicken palm? Yeah, you were apologizing to me for your small dick, so we had a chicken pot. Right. Keep on smiling. You know that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you there, Mash. Uh, always good to hear from you. I, d- I do appreciate Mash's sexpades. This guy's do, got yeah. some stories. He's got some stories. Um, people, call the Sigma Hotline, 
If you haven't already, join up on the Patreon. I don't know what you're doing with your life. I think you need to like reevaluate reevaluate your priorities. Like seriously, because uh, we're doing a lot on the Patreon these days. We do an entire second show on the Patreon. Like literally a, a second show. It's 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 a parallel show and a parallel dimension to this show. This week, um, we talked about Ronnie Spector, the uh, lead singer of the legendary girl group The Ronettes, who died this past Wednesday after a short battle of cancer. Uh, Ronnie was a legend. Ronnie was also a huge influence to Kate Rambo. Um, she was also married uh, to uh, autistic uh, nightmare Phil Spector. <laughs> That, that guy's an autistic maniac, that guy. And they had a bizarre marriage. It was Yeah, it's kind of up there with like Lisa Marie and um Nicolas Cage. Was that was that as weird and and, and violent and abusive as uh, Phil Spector and Ronnie Spector's marriage? No. I don't think so. But I mean it's just weird. Like, why would you ever marry Phil Spector? I mean, it doesn't matter young. how nice his tush is, Ronnie. You don't just marry a man for his nice tush. Oh, we talk all about it. And we share some uh, some some odd details uh, about this um, about her marriage with him. One one in particular. Um, so she was never allowed to leave their Beverly Hills mansion. Like he kept her locked down, and which she did on the rare occasions that she was allowed to go out alone, she had to drive around with a life size Phil Spector doll in the car. <laughs> Like that, that's weird. And so we go into uh, the, the the horrific aspects of their uh, loveless marriage. Um, I also shared some of my personal smoothie recipes, and uh, we heard the tale God. of Warwick Davis losing his virginity. All this and more on the second show. So, uh, yeah, people go check it out. It's only five bucks a month. comes out every Sunday just like the main show. And just for a few bucks more, um, at the $10 tier, you get our Sick and Wrong News segment uh, where we discuss uh, – Kind of a news roundup of the week. Uh, this week, uh, what were we talking about? Um, COVID dick. COVID dick is real, and I'm very concerned. Guy lost 1.5 inches. Um, Kate was more bothered by this. Marks and Spencer is renaming midget gems to mini gems, and uh, Kate had a full-on tantrum and is considering sending them a screed. Uh, yeah, it's um, cancel culture gone mad. I will yeah. forever call them midget gems. That's what uh, they are. And as I mentioned before, we talked about Hugh Hefner's uh, poodle that was addicted to cocaine. Also, um, the, the Sick and Wrong Overkill is, uh, is available at this tier as well. And this week, uh, Kate kind of did the part two on Elvis Presley. Um, yeah, this is going up until, until he meets Colonel Parker. I'll do some more Elvis later on in the year. It's like cocaine and rhinestones. I could have done 50 episodes about Elvis. So go check it out, patreon.com slash sickandwrong. We appreciate you supporting the show. It does definitely keeps us going. Uh, also, we have a Tee Public store where you can buy some Sick and Wrong merch. Believe they are having a sale right now. <laughs> oh, shit. Are they? <laughs> yeah. I never would have thought that from that company. One of those very rare moments that they're Tee having a sale. Public sales. Yeah. Shit. So go to sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope and uh, buy yourself um, some Sick and Wrong merch. Uh, finally here, Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. So apparently, I didn't know this, but I found this out when I was doing some research on uh, Dorothy Stratton, but Brian Adams was was very touched by uh, Dorothy's life and especially her death. Um, he, I guess, uh, grew up or lived not too far from where Dorothy was from. So I think he must be from uh, the west, west side of Canada. They'll be similar ages as well. Yeah, so I think he was uh, definitely affected by her death. 
And so he wrote two songs about her. One, uh, The Best Was Yet to Come, which definitely sounds like an actual Brian Adams song. Like he wrote that, he sings it, and it was used um, in the movie Star 80, the, the movie with Eric Roberts. And so uh, he wrote that in the memory of, uh, of Stratton. And apparently, I guess, uh, the family, her family was really grateful for that song and uh, appreciate it. But he also wrote another song prior to that called um, Cover Girl. And he wrote this for a band called Prism, which is a Canadian rock band that was formed in Vancouver in, in the 70s. Uh, they were active like 77, 84. And they're kind of like that 70s, early 80s, just sort of soft rock. But Do you know who more- they remind me of? They remind me of probably one of the worst bands of all time, Rush. Yeah, but Rush is more classic rock. I think they remind me more of Toto. Oh, God, one of the other worst. You know, you know what I fucking hate? And somebody asked me the other day, they were like, what is your like um, pet peeve song that people always like and you just think is fucking shite? And it's Africa by Toto. Well, who the fuck likes that song? It's awful. Yeah, that song is that song's a rough one. Although I do like their song Hold the Line. I've always liked that Hold one. Hold the line is good. That's yeah. also on a guitar hero. Yeah. But sure they, but they kind of remind hero. me of that era of music, which isn't necessarily yacht rock, but like Asia, Toto, Jefferson Starship, Prism kind I think kind of fits into that Boston. genre. But yeah, well Boston also is more like classic rock like Rush. Like these guys have like a key t- guys playing a keytar. Yeah, okay. I, yeah. So anyway, uh, Brian Adams collaborated with this band, wrote this song called Cover Girl that Prism performed. He's not singing on this one, but um, he sings on the other one, The Best Is Yet to Come. But it's a good song, and it's all about Dorothy's life. So we're going to end the show here with uh, Cover Girl by the band Prism. Uh, people will be back next week with episode 827. Till then, take it sleazy. <laughs>
dad had a really funny um, Eddie Money story. So Eddie Money, I think he was a Bay Area musician. And so he was living in the Bay Area. And then, obviously, this is like way past his prime. This would have been early 2000s when Pat was working at the Mallory Club. Mallory Club is this bar in Oakland, San Pedro. Pat worked there for years. My whole time he was in school. It sucked because you had to drive to the Mallard, but it was cool when you're there. Pat would get you fucking loaded, all free. And he wouldn't even take your money. Like, it was, he doesn't even care. I usually kind of make him take at least like 20 bucks if we're drinking there all night. But we spent a lot of, a lot of good times over there. That's where I met Big Jeff because Big Jeff was a door guy. Anyway, um, one night, Pat was working the bar upstairs. And Eddie Money was upstairs. It was like a tiki-themed place. Kind of sucked, actually, now that I think about it. But it was upstairs, and Eddie Money was at the bar, and he was fucking wasted. Wasted. I mean, the guy would have been, like, what, at this point in the 60s, probably? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Wasted. And he started, like, talking shit to the fe one of the female bartenders that was up there, too, just being like, you got nice titties. And just saying, like, stuff about her titties. Oh, no. Commenting about her ass. Um, someone was just like, the door, the bar back was just like, yo, dude, you know, come on. Calm down. Chill down. And yeah. chill down. He was just like, fuck you, you faggot. And was just like being a, he was being like a tough guy, like an asshole. And so then Pat cut him off. It's like, I'm not going to give you any more drinks. And uh, he was just like, do you know who the fuck I am? You fucking piece of shit. Do you know who the fuck I am? And Pat was just like, yes, I do know who you are. Do you know who the fuck? I'm Eddie fucking money, you piece of fucking shit. <laughs> he was like saying this. And so Pat was just like, yo, you gotta leave now. And he's just like, oh, you kicking me out of your fucking bar? Do you know yeah. who I am? <laughs> and he did this whole thing. And it wasn't Big Jeff. It was the other bouncer. Just came and grabbed them and pretty much just carried them. Just carried them out. of. The, might have been actually Big Jeff. I should ask him. Just picked him up under his like his like fucking um, shoulder, like under Pops. his, arm, in his yeah, armpits. Yeah, like a baby. And just carried him out of the bar and just threw him out on the sidewalk. He was just like, I'm calling my lawyers. <laughs> 